Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Except it's Friday, because I haven't made a new intro yet. Moving on, good morning heathens and happy fatality? Are we keeping that one? I don't know. Friday in the news. And here we continue our murder in the news, which is still better than the regular trash news we are fed. So buckle in, trash pandas. Let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And remember, as I always say, I do not read the articles ahead of time. I only look for the headlines. So we are reacting together. Here we go. So our first article comes from WKRG5 out of Mobile, Mobile County. Mobile County Sheriff's Office reopens 1998 cold case. Coming out of Mobile, Alabama. The Mobile County Sheriff's Office announced Thursday that they are reopening the 1998 cold case disappearance of Deborah Pritchett thanks to new technology and investigative techniques. The last known contact from Pritchett was on January 29, 1998. She left a message on a friend's answering machine that night at about 6.30, letting her friend know that her nursing school classes had been canceled. Pritchett left behind four children. The Mobile County Sheriff's Office said Pritchett was 26 at the time of her disappearance. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons System about Pritchett said she was last seen wearing all black. That's my girl. So the MSCO said that they had recently reviewed new information about Pritchett's disappearance. As a result, they have excavated land on Auble Moody Road in Wilmer, where Pritchett lived at the time of her disappearance. Current residents of Auble Moody Road watched everything unfold. Quote, I was pulling down the road and there was a whole bunch of vehicles sitting outside. Then the cops came, a resident said. Residents told WKRG that they watched something be carried from the scene and put into a van. After the scene cleared, oh, Charlie Henry has lived directly next door for 25 years. He says that this has been a mystery since Pritchett went missing. Quote, I didn't hear no gunshots or nothing, Henry said. MCSO asks that anyone with information about Pritchett's disappearance call them at 251-574-8633. So if you know anything, give them a call. This next one was sent to me, <laughs> was left for me, I think, on the Facebook fan page. Um... I shouldn't be laughing. This isn't funny. I'm sorry. It comes from the NewYorkPost.com, and the title reads, Man split in half after jumping 750 feet to his death from roof of ritzy Mandarin Hotel. I think I even saw someone, maybe it wasn't on the fan page, maybe it was on TikTok or something, where they were like, yeah, there's footage of it on some website. Yikes. Anyway, a man jumped 750 feet to his death from the roof of a five-star Manhattan hotel on Thursday night, according to police. Police believe the man leapt, leaped from the top of the ritzy Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Columbus Circle, 
Shortly after 9 p.m., police and sources said the unidentified man was pronounced dead at the scene. And then there's just like a bunch of pictures, and it says the man hit the roof. No, no, no. The man hit the hotel's marquee on the way down, and his body was split in half. Whoa. The man, who does not appear to have been a guest at the hotel, is believed to have taken a service elevator to the roof before jumping. Oh, there are, like, crime scene photos, but the New York Post has the body um, blurred. So I'm going to tell you guys that I'm absolutely not, wink, wink, going to try to look those up after this. Um, Let's see. The hotel lies on the top 19 floors of the 55-story Deutsche Bank Center Tower, which is also home to some of Hollywood's most elite celebrities. Really? And then the article, oh, it just goes on to say the exact same thing. People gather on the sidewalk near where the man landed after jumping from the hotel Thursday night. Boy, but that's something to see. It says there were no other injuries (laughs) being split in half. But no other injuries, guys. You know, don't worry about it. And no criminality is suspected at this time. A standard Mandarin Oriental room with a Central Park view can fetch upward of $1,195. Officials theorize the man may have waltzed into the famous Mandarin Oriental Hotel where a standard room, it already said that same price. This article is all over the place. It lies. It says actress Cynthia Nixon, model Gazelle, you know, Tom Brady's ex-wife, and musician Jay-Z are just some of the A-listers who once owned residences in the tower, which lies on, quote, billionaire's row. Oh, this kind of sounds like a suicide. And, you know, even in the blurred picture, it looks kind of like skin. Like, was he naked? I don't know. I was getting ready to read you one from the New York Times, but apparently you have to have a subscription to that, and I'm, I don't have that. So moving on. And what is a murder in the news without a little bit of, of news really coming from Florida? And I love my Florida people. I'm just playing. So this comes from CBS12.com, and the title reads, Florida men, not man, men, multiple, sentenced for child sexual abuse and drug crimes after shocking discoveries in PSL tattoo shop. So this comes from Port St. Lucie, Florida. The U.S. Attorney's Office announced on Tuesday the sentences of two men for the shocking discoveries found in a tattoo shop in that city. The Attorney's Office said 42-year-old Dustin Singleton of Hobe Sound, Florida, was sentenced to 40 years in prison, followed by a lifetime of supervised release after pleading guilty to three counts of producing child sexual abuse material, possession with intent to distribute methamphetamine, uh, and possession of a firearm and ammunition as a convicted felon. So he was making that shit. In a separate sentencing hearing, 22-year-old Elijah Daniel Shaw was sentenced to over 21 years in prison, followed by 15 years of supervised release after pleading guilty to producing and possessing child sexual abuse material. 
Court records state on April 29, 2022, Singleton was pulled over by detectives with the Martin County Sheriff's Office. Following a search of Singleton's vehicle, detectives found the following. Oh, we have a list. 32.86 grams of methamphetamine with a purity level of 98%. Approximately 5 grams of cocaine. Less than a gram of fentanyl. Approximately 195 grams of marijuana. Several glass pipes, hypodermic needles, a loaded Smith & Wesson, a 38 caliber semi-automatic pistol, a loaded Glock, Type 9mm pistol built from a Polymer 80 PF940C kit. And then in parentheses it says Glock clone. I'm, I, it's past my gun knowledge. Several unused baggies. Several pill bottles with various controlled substances. Ten, <laughs> ten cell phones. And three tablets. And... <laughs> They got, they got the dollar, they got it down to the dollar, and the cash he had on him was exactly $1,104. So, investigators say Singleton is a convicted felon and prohibited by law from possessing firearms. Court records further showed, in July 2022, a Homeland Security Investigations agent and two MCSO detectives received information that tattoo artist Singleton, a.k.a. Greenhouse, exchanged narcotics and tattoos for oh, sexual activity with girls at his tattoo shop. That takes the humor right out of it. Um, so two rounds of search warrants were obtained, the first one for narcotics and the second one for child sexual abuse material, which targeted Singleton's electronic devices, his 10 cell phones. Forensic examinations of the devices revealed numerous images of Singleton and Shaw, both engaging in explicit activity with a freshly tattooed 13-year-old victim recorded inside the tattoo shop. Excuse me? 13? On August 2nd, 2022, law enforcement arrested Shaw, who identified images and videos of himself, Singleton, and the 13-year-old minor female victim and confirmed that the video was recorded inside Singleton's tattoo parlor, court records show. An HSI special agent applied for additional search warrants for Singleton's and Shaw's social media and iCloud accounts, which revealed additional videos of the sec of the child sexual abuse material spanning in excess of six hours. In Singleton's iCloud, investigators located additional videos revealing Singleton recorded additional tattoo shop sexual activity with two additional minor victims, each 17 years of age. That's the end of that article. So I was laughing at the inventory they got from him. It's not a funny case, obviously. A 13-year-old? Come on. So our next one comes from HuffPost.com, and the title reads, Parenting Coach Arrested After Malnourished Child Found with Open Wounds, Police Say. So Utah's Ruby Frank had more than 2 million followers on her family's YouTube channel, Eight Passengers, which drew criticism for years. Oh, this has been all over YouTube. I just have not had the time to really pay attention to it. I didn't realize that there was a malnourished child. What the fuck? A mother of six who was known for her family YouTube channel was arrested Wednesday in Utah on suspicion of child abuse. 
Ruby Frankie, whose Eight Passengers channel had more than two million followers before it shut down, and business partner Jody Hildebrand were both taken into custody after authorities received a call about a malnourished child, quote, with open wounds and duct tape around the extremities, end quote, the Santa Clara Ivins Public Safety Department announced. See, I don't really watch a lot of that family vlog stuff. Like, it, I really don't. So I've seen this, you know, some of the people in my community covering this, but I didn't realize this is it. According to arrest documents obtained by local outlet Fox 13, the child ran from an Ivan's residence to the house of a neighbor who noticed that the child had tape on their ankles and wrists. Quote, the juvenile was asking for food and water. The condition of the juvenile was so severe that they were seen by Santa Clara Ivan's EMS and transported to a local area hospital. End quote. After searching the Ivan's residence, authorities said they found another malnourished child who was also sent for treatment and four minors were put into the care of child services. Police said they would only release limited information due to, quote, the sensitive nature of this case. Yep, here's a picture of the mom. That's who I've been seeing. Social media users have long pointed to red flags in the family's online content, scouring videos for evidence that Frank's, Frankie's, Strict parenting style may have crossed the line into abuse. One viewer even set up a petition in a bid to get Child Protective Services involved in 2020. Some reported the parents to authorities after their then 15-year-old son said he had been sleeping on a beanbag as punishment for playing pranks on his little brother. But that's, that's what siblings are for, right? Quote, my bedroom was taken away for seven months, the teen said in a video. I was sleeping on a beanbag since October. Uh, so this woman and her husband told Insider in 2020 that this was their son's choice and that he was allowed to return to his bedroom when he decided to change his behavior. Viewers have also used clips of Frankie's Frank's videos to accuse her of withholding food from her kids and neglecting young children so she could nap, as in go to sleep, as well as shaming sexual assault victims and making anti-LGBTQ comments. This family told Insider that many of the clips have been taken out of context and said that their intention was to teach their children about responsibility. The A Passengers channel then shuddered. Last year, Ruby and Hildebrandt announced that they were forming Connections, C-O-N-N-E, and then a big X, I-O-N-S, a parenting support group offering paid classes and coaching. Well, you can just eat a bag. Some followers found the new brand even more alarming, accusing it of cult-like messaging. Quote, when parents make decisions based on how the child will react, they are being led by the child instead of principles and virtues. Read one caption on their at moms underscore of underscore truth Instagram account. Quote, being led by anything, anyone other than God is a form of idolatry, end quote. Okay, so we have, that's, all right. So Sherry, Ruby's 20-year-old daughter, who is now estranged from her, addressed the news of her mother's arrest in several posts on her Instagram story and shared an in-depth Google Doc cataloging the woman's problematic comments. One of Sherry's posts showed a photograph of a police officer with the caption, quote, finally, 
Today has been a big day, she wrote on Instagram. Me and my family are so glad justice is being served. We've been trying to tell the police and CPS for years about this and so glad they finally decided to step up. So on Friday, Sherry told her followers to report Connections' Instagram account to get it taken down so that it would be unable to continue promoting Ruby and Hildebrandt's parenting techniques. Meta, which owns Instagram, did not immediately respond to questions about the Connections account. I mean, why would you even involve Meta at this point? Because they're too busy putting funny people with dark humor, dank memes in Facebook jail while allowing some very questionable other things. We all know how Facebook is, right? Okay, so our next article comes from CBSNews.com, and the title reads, Former Blackhawk School District Substitute Teacher and Assistant Coach Sentenced to Prison on Child Porn Charges. Are we, do we have a theme going here? Beaver, Pennsylvania. A former Blackhawk School District Substitute Teacher and Assistant Coach was sentenced to prison on child pornography charges. A judge sentenced Joshua Andrews on Wednesday to an aggregate sentence of five to ten years in state prison for five counts of dissemination of child pornography, the Beaver County District Attorney's Office announced. As part of a negotiated plea agreement, he'll also have to register as a sex offender for 25 years. The district attorney's office said the investigation began in June of 2022 after state police got a tip that Andrews had been uploading child pornography to the Internet. The uploads were traced to his home in Beaver County and a local school, the district attorney's office said. When interviewed by state police, they said he admitted to viewing child pornography for at least eight years and said he used at least eight different email addresses to distribute it. He said he was a Highland Middle School substitute teacher and an assistant coach for the middle school's cross-country team. He also worked as a counselor for children through his local church, the district attorney's office said. Do you ever just sit back and think, I mean, I guess it makes absolute perfect sense. See, I am somewhat educated in this kind of thing, and it still floors me how many times they bust people that have ill intent towards children that actually take jobs dealing with children. And then you just think that's the dumbest thing I've ever said, because why wouldn't they, you know, I don't know. What do we, what do we do? So there's a picture of him here and he just looks like a doofus. I, I don't, you know, just looks like a doofus. State police said they found thousands of images and videos of child pornography on his devices. There were also images of children he knew through school and church that he had taken, altered to sexualize them, and uploaded to the internet for other people to view. One of the victims provided a statement at sentencing about how the experience will impact her for the rest of her life. Andrews is not eligible for early release. He'll He'll have to undergo sexual offender treatment and education in prison and isn't allowed to have any contact with children. Uh, thank God. Gosh, even in my closet of shame, my recording studio, my super fancy upscale, I'm better than everyone closet of shame, you can still hear these really loud, obnoxious country trucks going by. It's annoying, but you know, it's moving hay time, you know, do what you got to do. Our next article comes from K-E-N-S-5, Ken's 5, and the title is, An Amber Alert Was Issued for a Dallas Teen, Now She Faces a Murder Charge, Police Say. 
So Dallas PD issued an Amber Alert for a 17-year-old that was later discontinued. Hours later, police said she was in custody on a murder warrant. In the early hours of Friday morning, Dallas police issued an Amber Alert for a 17-year-old girl listing 21-year-old Yordi Martinez as the suspect in the alert. The alert was discontinued hours later by 3.33 a.m. That's 3.33, ladies. Police told WFAA that the Amber Alert was in the process of being issued, but the girl was found safely before the alert was sent. Dallas police told WFAA, quote, no arrest or charge has been made in alleged kidnapping at this time when reached about the Amber Alert discontinuation. So just after noon Friday, Garland police told WFAA that both the teen girl and Martinez were identified as two persons of interest in the murder of a man found dead in Garland on Tuesday. During their investigation, the girl became the subject of the Amber Alert, Garland police said. She was located by law enforcement and in custody. WFAA is not yet naming the girl because the details of what prompted the Amber Alert are not fully clear. So the murder warrants were issued in connection to the death of Arturo Pena. Pena was a mesquite man reported missing by Dallas police on August 27th and found dead with a gunshot wound by officers on August 29th in Garland's Audubon Park. According to a particularly, no, according to a partially redacted arrest affidavit released by Garland police on Wednesday, police allege the suspects committed capital murder by shooting Pena and taking jewelry off of his person. Per Garland Police, Martinez is still at large. He is described in the Amber Alert as 5 feet 7 inches tall and 120 pounds. He uh, has one of the most impressive mullets that I've seen in quite a while, so there is that. And then our next article comes from APNews.com. Title reads, A man convicted of murder in Pennsylvania and wanted in Brazil remains at large after jail escape. Westchester. Pennsylvania. Hundreds of law enforcement agents searched Friday for a man recently convicted of murder in Pennsylvania for the fatal stabbing of his ex-girlfriend a day after he escaped from the county jail. Danilo Cavalcante, 34, is also wanted in his native Brazil in a separate slaying and is considered an extremely dangerous person. The search dragged through a second day with authorities using drones, helicopters, and dogs. Searchers were focusing on railways, waterways, and routes out of the area, Chester County's District Attorney Deb Ryan said at the news conference. Ryan said authorities believe that he's trying to flee south but also have no evidence that he has left the area or that he is receiving assistance from others. Authorities said area residents should scan video from their doorbells or surveillance cameras for anything suspicious and check their cars, sheds, and any outbuildings. Well, if you're going to go out and check your um, cars and sheds and outbuildings, can you do so carrying some, pack some heat or something? Like, protect yourself. They also advise people to check their homes of vacationing neighbors and look out for missing cars, bicycles, or any other mode of transportation that he could have used to aid in his flight. Robert Clark, supervisor of the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force in Philadelphia, said the Brazilian consulate was advised of his escape. 
He escaped Thursday morning and was seen walking on a road near the jail shortly afterwards. They have not disclosed the circumstances of his escape and say the matter is under investigation. Of course, they're not going to divulge that. A jury convicted him last month of killing Deborah Brandeo, his ex-girlfriend, in front of her children in 2021. (sighs) He was sentenced to life in prison and was awaiting a transfer to state prison. Prosecutors have said he killed her to stop her from telling police about the charges against him in Brazil in connection with a 2017 slaying. He was captured in Virginia after her, his ex-girlfriend's killing, and authorities say they believe he was trying to return to Brazil. He originally came to the United States illegally after fleeing Brazil to Puerto Rico following the 2017 killing for which he is wanted, authorities said. So, authorities described him as 5 feet tall and 120 pounds, 1.5 meters, 54 kilos. He has curly black hair and a closely cropped beard and mustache, according to a photo the county released. This dude is 5 feet. You mean to say that I'm the shortest one out of the entire murder family and this dude's shorter than me? Wow, that doesn't even matter. He killed his ex-girlfriend. He killed someone else in Brazil. Why do I hyper-focus on the wrong things? Our next article comes from cbsnews.com after I've thoroughly chastised myself. The title reads, Suspicious, quote, Disappearance of Trucker in Maryland Under Investigation. Coming out of Baltimore. Baltimore, I'm looking at you. The disappearance of a trucker last seen in Maryland in June is under investigation as a suspicious incident, Maryland State Police said Friday. Jason Pearson, 42, was dropped off to his assigned freight liner in Scranton, Pennsylvania by his wife on June 2nd, police said. Try to refrain from office jokes. Of course, a pop-up ad comes up. Um, so from there, Pearson traveled to multiple places in Pennsylvania and Maryland over the next 58 hours. Well, he's a truck driver. That makes sense. Police said on June 13th at 1130 a.m., Pearson arrived at Smithfield Food Distribution Center in Northeast Maryland. He was allegedly last seen waiting for an additional pickup around 1156 a.m. by employees at the center. So he had a drop off. He was waiting for a pickup. The next day around noon, Pearson's Freightliner was found abandoned on the roadway within eyesight of the distribution center in Northeast. I separate it because it's two different words. His belongings, including his cell phone, were in the truck, police said. He has been entered into the National Crime Information Center as a missing person. So anyone with information in the case, there's no picture of him in this article, so I can't really describe him. But, you know, the off chance that you have any information, you're supposed to contact Trooper First Class Waldis Batista at waldis.batista, so W-A-L-D-Y-S dot B-A-T-I-S-T-A at maryland.gov or call 410-996-7815. Okay, and then our last article is coming from cbsnews.com. Title reads, New details revealed about woman, sister, and teen found dead at remote Colorado campsite. This sounds familiar. The stepsister of a Colorado woman who was found dead along with her sister and teenage son 
This is not the one I was thinking of. At a remote Rocky Mountain campsite says the woman fled into the wilderness after struggling to cope with societal changes in recent years, but they were unequipped to survive off the grid. Hang on a second. Found dead along with her sister and teenage son at a remote campsite. She fled into the wilderness. Okay, she's going off grid. I see. Yep. Exposed to several feet of snow chills below zero and with no food found at their camp christine vance rebecca vance and rebecca's son likely died of malnutrition and hypothermia according to the autopsies released this week authorities haven't released the boy's name those reports contained another chilling detail that brought stepsister travala jara to tears the 14-year-old boy's body was found with jara's favorite blessed rosary that she gave the group before they left Quote, God was with them, said Jera, who still hasn't mustered the strength to remove the rosary from the hazard bag. But Jara, who tried to convince them not to go, has questions. Quote, why would you want to do this knowing that you would leave me behind, she said through tears. Why didn't you listen to me and my husband? Jara told CBS Colorado in July that she and her husband offered them their property in the mountains. It's pretty much off-grid, she told the station. There's no cell phone connection, no water, no electricity. We had an RV up there with a generator, and we begged them to just use our property. But the sisters turned down the offer. The camp and the teen's body were first discovered by a hiker wandering off-trail in July. The Gunnison County Sheriff's Office found the two women's bodies the following day when they searched the campsite and unzipped the tent. All three had been dead for some time. Strown across the ground were empty food containers and survival books, nearly a lean-to extended near a fire pit. The sisters from Colorado Springs, about an hour south of Denver, had been planning to live off the grid since the fall of 2021. They felt that the pandemic and politics brought out the worst in humanity. Well, I think we can all agree with that, can we not? They weren't conspiracy theorists, said Jara, but Rebecca Vance, quote, thought that with everything changing and all, that this world was going to end. They wanted to be away from people and the influences of what people can do to each other, end quote. Jara remembers Rebecca Vance as a bit reserved, sharp as a whip, and someone who could read through a 1,000-page book in days. Vance's son was homeschooled and a math whiz. Christine was more outgoing, charismatic, and wasn't at first convinced on the idea to escape society, but, quote, she just changed her mind because she didn't want our sister and nephew to be by themselves, end quote. Rebecca and Christine Vance told others that they were traveling to another state for a family emergency. Mmm. They told Jara of their plans, but not where they would set up camp. They watched YouTube videos to prepare for their life in the wilderness, but they were woefully unprepared, Jara said. Woefully unprepared. I like that. So Jara said she tried everything short of kidnapping to keep them from leaving, but nothing worked. Quote, I do not wish this on anybody at all. I can't wait to get to the point where I'm happy and all I can think of is the memories. End quote. Jara is hoping her family story can convince others to think twice or better prepare before choosing a life off the grid. Quote, that you put yourself out to where you can experience some of that hardship but have that lifeline. Because if you have no experience, you need that lifeline. You need it. Watching it and actually doing it is totally different. End quote. 
that is a sad story, of course, but it's also very, very interesting to me because those of you who know anything about me, um, it was about five years ago, uh, sold my house and moved like seven minutes from a lake out in the middle of nowhere. And for you creeps, I own scary dogs. I digress. Um, I'm not off grid. I have electricity. Like I have all the normal stuff. It's just out in the country in the middle of nowhere. And it's really nice to go outside at night and hear the coyotes singing to each other instead of sirens and light pollution. I can see the Milky Way when I look up, right? So there is a part of that being disconnected from the rat race that we are all, you know, the hell that we're all living in right now. There, there is something to be said for that. And it's great. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's fantastic, especially if you're introverted in, on, the, on someone like me. But how on earth did two girls, at first I thought, well, maybe they're from Florida or I don't mean to pick on Florida. I'll pick some. Maybe they're from Louisiana, you know, maybe they're from South Texas and they don't realize just how no nonsense winter is in Colorado. I mean, I've only been to Colorado briefly once in my life, but you know, I've had coworkers, I work from home and I've had coworkers that live in Colorado and I listen to them in the meetings, right? But they were from Colorado Springs. <laughs> You know, they should have, how did, why, why did they do that? A senseless loss of life, at least for the teenage boy. I don't get it. I mean, I get being off grid. I'm not judging that at all, but like just living in a tent in the winter in Colorado, have you lost your mind? I'll get off my soapbox. I apologize. So we made it, even though for the grand majority of us, it was only a four day week. This was the longest fucking four day week. Oh my God. It has been a long week. And quite frankly, yesterday and today, I just had a hard time staying like super hyper focused on my stuff. It's been bad. So I don't know if everyone else is going through that, but you know, it's uh, September. So fall temperatures can come anytime. Behave yourselves this weekend. Okay. Auntie Alyssa does not have bail money. All right. So have fun. Let me know what you guys get up to. Love you guys. Oh, bye-bye.